Uh, good morning. Good morning. I'm glad everybody's here today. What a blessing here today, man. The presence of the Lord is so sweet here today. I just want to, um, before I get into my message here, I just want to reiterate um, uh, uh, one of the announcements for uh, this Conquer series that is starting tomorrow night for men. Um, I, I just think that, you know, about a year ago, I had this vision in, in the middle of prayer of this door, and on this door there was this um, sign that said, do not enter. And it was if, as if um, the Lord was showing me that Satan had simply uh, hung these signs on these doors or these areas of our life, and he's basically said, you're not allowed in here. And we have just submitted to the fact that we've not gone into doors because uh, uh, Satan has said we're not allowed. And the Lord is saying, no, you're allowed, and you can go in there. And um, this is just such an example, this Conquer series. Uh, what's amazing about this is uh, uh, Pastor Jeff had this word for this year, um, more than conquerors. This is our church's word. And I believe fully and completely that this is a word from the Lord, that there's something that he intends to do with us and through us um, in reference to this word. Before he had even released this word, uh, Nick and Wes had been working already on this conquer series. So it's just confirmation that this is a part of that. I believe that this is us going into those doors that we would previously not have gone into and saying, no, we're coming in here. And this, is, this isn't about you as a man. If you're 15 year old, this isn't about you and what you're dealing with or whether you need this or whether you feel like you need This is not about that. This is about us as men in abundant life saying this body and this church is going to be different. That this atmosphere in here is going to be different. That men are going to stand up and be men. We're going to come together as men and we're going to start to change some things. This isn't going to, we're not going to bow down to the way culture is. We're not going to be like the world. We're going to be different. And that's what this is about. So we're going to come together and I would encourage everybody, if you are able to be here for that as a man, be here for that. I've told the teenagers, I want the men, young men, if you're able to be here for that, I want you here for that. This is important. It's important for us to come together, and I believe that the Lord is going to break down strongholds through this. And not only is he going to break down strongholds through this series, but I think by him breaking down strongholds, he's going to release new blessings into, into this body and into your families and into this church Things that we have not experienced, have not seen yet. So I believe that fully, and I would encourage you, if you can be here for that, to be here for that. Um, also, I just want to re- uh, reiterate that we do have a prayer meeting tonight. So if you have the ability to be here for that, we come together. We believe that the Lord hears our prayers, and our prayers matter to him. And we, we believe that our prayers rise to heaven just like a sweet fragrance to the Lord. And so when we come here today, tonight, we don't come here. We come here at 6 o'clock. We don't come here for any entertainment. We don't come here to entertain ourselves. We come here to raise a sweet fragrance to the Lord of prayers. And, and we believe that he hears our prayers. And we believe that angels are released to go from heaven to go and answer our prayers as we, uh, as we pray them. So we believe that fully. So I would encourage you to be here if you can be here for that tonight. Um, let me just pray here before we get into this, into this message. Lord, we just love you, and we're thankful that you have gone to the cross and made a way for us to come to you, Lord, that your spirit lives inside of us, Lord. And I, God, I just know that there's nothing in my natural self that can bring anything of value here today, Lord, but you can. So I pray that every word that leaves my mouth would be infused by the Holy Spirit. 
God, that it would just shape and change us and that we would be transformed by your word, God, that you would move in this place, Lord. We open up our hearts to receive what you have for us today, God. Lord, we thank you, thankful just already this morning for your sweet pre- presence, Lord. And that you have already met us here, Lord. You're alive and you're in this room, God. Well, I pray that any heart that hasn't met you yet would meet you today. And we thank you that you invite us deeper, Lord. And we just give this time to you and ask that you would have your way with us, Lord. And we love you and we worship you. We honor you today in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll, be, I'll give you a forewarning that I've been already just, just a wreck this morning. So um, just a wreck by the Holy Spirit, a good wreck. Just, I've just been a wreck by the Holy Spirit. And he's, he's just, uh, he's good. So uh, it'll, be, it'll be a miracle from the Lord. It'll be only by the Lord's strength that I can even make it through this message today. <laughs> so, but we trust in him so he can make it happen. He can make it happen. My message title today is From Barrenness to Inheritance. And I just want to, before I even get into the depths of my message, I just want to say this, because I, I feel like it's important sometimes just to lay a very firm foundation. And this is the firm foundation that I want to lay today, that as followers of Jesus, we are saved by the grace and the mercy of Jesus alone. And nothing can ever take that away. Nothing can ever take the place of the blood of Jesus that has saved us and set us free. Let that soak in and let that be your foundation for the rest of this message today. In the same respect, I actually think that there's a process of sanctification that makes us into the likeness and the image of Jesus. And while salvation is something that is a free gift that's given to us, and all we have to do is surrender and receive it, I believe that there's a a part of sanctification that we should pursue after, that we should long for, that we should burn for, and that we should chase after. The, The word sanctification, for anybody that's unaware, the word sanctification just simply means to be set apart and declared holy. There's a process of pursuit. There's a process of pursuing that that we are responsible for. Let me just read a couple verses here to give you a little um, groundwork for for how the Lord's been speaking this into me. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10, the writer of Hebrews says this, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the blood of Jesus Christ once and for all. And then just a few verses later, the writer of Hebrews says this, For by a single offering, he has perfected for all those who are being sanctified. In two verses, he says that that by the will we have been sanctified. And then a few verses later, he says, for those who are being sanctified. And so these two verses seem to indicate something. They seem to indicate that sanctification is something that's both released to us in a moment. The moment we surrender our life and say yes to Jesus, that we are declared holy and made right in his sight. And also that sanctification is something that we're in the process of becoming. 
And those two things would seem like they would contradict themselves, that we couldn't possibly receive something at once and also be in the process of it. But I think that the writer of Hebrews um, brings a little bit of clarity to this verse, a few verses down in verses 19 through 25. This is what it says. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another in love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Jesus has made a way by his blood for us to be sanctified to come into the Holy of Holies, to come into the presence of the Lord, to come to the Father. And then he's given us the responsibility to make everything in our life agree with that holiness. It's something that we both receive in a moment and we're in the process of becoming. He's given us the ability to come before the Father. We are sanctified to come before the Father. And then he said, now go and make everything in your life agree with my holiness. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 21, this is what Paul says. He's writing to Peter, and Paul is kind of Peter's mentor, father figure, spiritual father to or to. to, uh, to, to and this is, what he, this is what he says. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself... From what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. If anyone cleanses himself, you have some responsibility in this. If anyone cleanses himself, pursuing sanctification isn't legalism. It's not pursuing um, um, the acceptance and the love of Jesus. It's not pursuing salvation. It's not the same. It's running after the full inheritance of what Jesus has for you. And in John chapter 15, Jesus gives instructions to his disciples. Then he says this, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you. And then in a, a chapter later in chapter 16, he says this, I have told you these things that in me you might have peace. And here's what the Lord's saying. He's not saying, if you heed my words and you heed my instructions, I will make the world around you give you joy and I'll make the world around you give you peace. He's saying, if you heed my instructions, if you take my word and you let it transform your life and change you, I will change you and you will change the world around you. In 1 Corinthians, Paul calls us co-laborers with Christ. And this has always been the heart of the Father. The heart of the Father is that we would be so permeated with heaven, that we would be so filled with the Holy Spirit and so transformed by the Holy Spirit, and that we would go out through, throughout the world and we would take into the world, take into the world's culture the flavor of heaven. And all of a sudden, the, the, these, these secular areas, these secular things would start to become infused with love and grace and mercy because we're there. Because we've been transformed by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is breathing life and working through us. And when we go, we, what we tend to do as Christians is we tend to separate our secular life from our Christian life. 
And we do our secular life when we go to work, and then we do our Christian life when we come to church. And the Lord doesn't want that. That's never been his purpose. That's never been what he wanted for us. He wants us to be so infused with heaven that we start to take heaven into those places. And I think that some, somewhere along the way, I think that a lot of Christians have just become satisfied with salvation and have deemed sanctification not worth pursuing. We become satisfied with just being saved and deemed becoming the likeness and, and, and bearing the image of Jesus not worth pursuing. And you know what I feel like? I feel like in today's world, I feel like right now the Lord is whispering to anybody who has ears to hear. I feel like he's whispering, there's more. There's more. There's more than what you've experienced. There's more. There's more of me. There's more. You've been stuck in the same place for a long time. I'm here to tell you there's more. There's more. In Exodus chapter 33, God takes Moses up Mount Sinai. He's led Moses through the wilderness. Moses has seen miracles, signs, and wonders as the Lord has delivered the Israelites out of oppression. And he walks Moses up this mountain. And the, the scripture says his glory cloud falls on top of this mountain. And Moses enters into it and talks to, to the Lord. And he's standing in the presence of the Lord. And he's talking to the Lord. And then the Lord's just about to release him. And, and most of us would, in that moment, would have been like, I'm so satisfied. I'm, I'm so satisfied where I'm at. And Mo, the Lord's about to release Moses to go back down the mountain and give instruction to the people. And Moses says this, Lord, show me your glory. I want to say like, oh, man, I, I just, I haven't even drank Red Bull coffee this morning. I'm so filled with the Holy Spirit. So if I'm getting a little antsy up here, it's just the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm not even whacked out on caffeine right now. But listen, I feel like the Lord in this, he's saying like, Moses stood in, most of us would have just been satisfied with that. I stood in the glory cloud and I talked to the Lord, I'm satisfied. And Moses is like, show me your glory. Lord, I, I dare to believe there's more of you to be seen and I want to see it. I want to see it. And you know, I love the Lord's response in this because this is the Lord's response in this. He doesn't say, oh no, you've seen enough, Moses. He says, if any man would look at my face, and see, see my glory and purity, they would die. You couldn't see my glory in the flesh and live. But I'll show you just enough. I'll, I'll take you right to the edge. He hides Moses in the cleft of this rock, and he passes by him, and he lets see, Moses see just as much of him as he could see before Moses dies. I love that. I love that. How much of us have been satisfied where we're at, and the Lord's saying, if you would just ask for more, I would give you more. I would give you more. And you know, I think, I think that, I think that the measure of glory that we're, the Lord releases to us for us to experience in our life are dependent on two things, our hunger for it and our faith to receive it. And here's why I believe this. The Lord said to Moses, if any man comes up and touches Mount Sinai, they'll die. There is an Israelite that could walk up and touch the mountain when God's glory is on it because they would die, but Moses climbed it. And he didn't just climb it, he walked into the glory cloud. And he didn't just walk into the glory cloud, but the Lord let him see his glory as he passed by. Because there was different measures of faith. There was different measures of hunger, and there was different measures of faith to be able to receive that level of glory. And I believe that, that Moses was taken up because the Lord had taken him through some stuff. Moses had experienced some hardships. He had experienced some things that had challenged him and had spread his faith wide, sometimes forcefully spread his faith wide. 
But that wide faith was able to receive a greater measure of glory. And I think this journey of sanctification is waking up in our spirits to a hunger for more. A hunger to see more of God's glory and a willingness to do whatever it takes to see it. Whatever it takes. I don't know about you, but I want to be the place where God wants to be. I want to be that temple. I want to be the temple he wants to dwell in. God has to dwell in. I want to be the one he wants to dwell in. I want to be the place when the Lord scans the earth and he looks for somebody who dares to have enough faith to believe that the impossible can happen. I want his eyes to stop at me. I want his eyes to stop at us. When his eyes scan the earth and he's looking for somebody who believes enough to have the supernatural burst through in the natural, I want his eyes to stop at me. I want it to be me. I want it to be us. I want the Lord to look at us as he's scanning the earth and he says, I see a people who are, who are hungry enough and have faith enough to receive this, this degree of my glory, this measure of my glory. And so why sanctifying our lives is something that we should spend every day of our life pursuing. It's a hunger and it's a fire that should burn in our hearts every single day. I also believe that there's a time where the Lord calls us into greater intentionality. Greater intentionality. Where he's saying, I want you to set apart a time for me because I have a glory to release to you. And I need you to set apart a time where you consecrate yourself to me so that I could spread your faith wide to receive this great measure of glory. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, get this as a reference to Moses going up Mount Sinai. And this is what it says. And we with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord. This is what God, this is, what God is saying. This is what the, uh, Paul is saying in here. He's saying, he's saying we are given the same ability and the same measure, and the same, same ability to come into the glory just like Moses was given. We, with un unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And this is what I believe today. I want you to hear this. is what I believe today. I believe some of us have been stuck on the same degree of glory for too long. And it's time to get off. It's time to get off. It's time to come up a little higher. Some of us have been stuck in the same degree of glory since the moment we said yes to Jesus. The moment we got saved and nothing's changed in our life since that day. We've never experienced more of Jesus. We've never experienced anything different. Everything's been the same since the moment because we've been stuck on the same degree of glory. And the Lord is saying, I'm inviting you higher. I'm inviting you to come a little higher. I'm inviting you to stretch your faith wide and receive a greater degree of glory. There's more to be released to you. There's more for you to experience. So here's how. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a man of action. I want application. I don't want, to just, I don't want the Lord just to speak things. I want to tell me how. Tell me how and I'll step into it and do exactly what you want. So here's how. In Numbers chapter 6, let me just read, starting in verse 1. The Lord instructed Moses, speak to the Israelites and tell them, when a man or a woman makes a special vow, a Nazarite vow, to consecrate himself to the Lord, he is to abstain from wine and beer. He must not drink vinegar made from wine or beer. He must not drink any grape juice or eat any grapes or raisins. He is not to eat anything produced from the grapevine from seed to skin. 
during this period of consecration. You must not cut his hair throughout this time of this vow of consecration. He may be holy until the time is completed during which he has consecrated himself to the Lord. He is to let the hair of his head grow. He must not go near any dead body during this time. He consecrates himself to the Lord. He is not to defile himself for his father or his mother or his brother or sister when they die while the mark of consecration to God is on his head. He is holy to the Lord during this time of consecration. Moses had given some instruction, or the Lord had given some instruction to Moses, which Moses had released to the people. And the instruction was for the inheritance of the tribes of Israel. And this is what he says about the Levites. Let me just read because this is going to make sense to you. This is what he says about the Levites in, in Deuteronomy chapter 18. He says, The Levitical priest, the whole tribe of Levi, will have no portion or inheritance with Israel. They will eat the Lord's food offering. That is their inheritance. Although Levi has no inheritance among his brothers, the Lord is his inheritance, just as he's promised. The Lord is his inheritance. And then the Lord says to Moses, he said this specifically about the, the Levites, but then he says to, 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 to Moses, but if any Israelite desires to consecrate himself, if there's anybody in this, in this land that's unsatisfied with just their allotment of land and they want to serve the Lord, if anybody wants to come in close to me, here's the regulations, here's what I desire from them. And what's funny is those regulations are actually very similar to the regulations that God would have given the Levites when they were coming to work in the temple. Don't consume anything from the grapevine. Don't cut your hair. Don't go near or touch any dead thing. And in the scripture, we have three Nazarites from birth, three people that were, were marked as Nazarites from birth, Samson, Samuel, and John the Baptist. And some, of, some people might say that this Nazarite stuff, this Nazarite idea, this is old covenant stuff, that we don't need that anymore. Except in, in Acts chapter 18, the scripture says that Paul cut his hair because of a vow that he had taken. And what that tells me is that Paul had taken a Nazarite-type vow to the Lord. And Paul was living in the grace and the mercy of Jesus. And what the Nazarite vow is, is it's a period of consecration. It's a coming in deeper. It's a period of intentionality where we give the Lord the ability to examine us, to purify us. It's when we open our hearts up and say, Lord, ex search my heart, O oh God. Search my heart. If there's anything inside of me that shouldn't be there, you remove it, Lord. You remove it so that, you, so that I could be filled with you. I think that there's a new covenant manner of taking this a Nazarite type, type vow, a period of consecration that holds to the purpose of the requirements that the Lord made to the Israelites. Because here's the thing, the Lord doesn't do anything at random. When he makes an instruction, there's a purpose behind it. He doesn't do anything at random. He didn't just randomly say, uh, I don't know, if you want to get be holy, uh, don't drink any grape juice or cut your hair. He didn't just come up with that at the top of his head. There was purpose behind it. And I think that if we could root out the purpose, then what we can do is we can start to take those type of vows ourselves. And actually, believe it or not, I think some of us have already been taking those type of vows this year. Maybe without even knowing it. So here's, here's what I'm going to just break down these three, three requirements that the Lord gives to those who would like to take a Nazarite type vow. He says, don't consume 
anything from the grapevine. And then in, in John chapter 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine. And I think what this is, the root of this instructions is this. The Lord is saying, don't take of anything that's an imitator of the true vine. When Jesus says, I'll be your comfort and I'll be your joy, I'll be your peace, I'll be your healing, I'll be your restoration, I'll be your love. And we have to ask ourselves this question, what do I run to when I need comfort? What do I run to when I need joy? What do I run to when I need peace? Maybe this is a time for you to lay those things aside and say, I'm going to run to Jesus. I'm going to run to the true vine. I'm not going to take in anything that's an imitator. I don't want any imitation. I only want the real thing. I'm going to let Jesus be exactly who he said he is in this time. It's given Jesus back the reins of our life. Because here's the thing. We've talked a lot about fasting over the past year. A lot. And it's not something that's going to go away. Because I think it's an instruction from the Lord. We're going to continue to talk about it. We're going to continue to encourage each other. And the men of valor just entered into, a, uh, I believe, like a 30-day fast that they're doing right now that they're in the midst of. And if you, it's not too late to join. It's not too late to join. You can start today. Here's the thing. This is the American way. The American way is to consume whatever we crave until what we crave consumes us. It's the American way. This is what we do. We have abundance of everything, so we consume whatever we crave. And I'm not just talking about food. I, actually, I'm not talking about food almost at all. The American way is we can consume whatever our flesh craves until what our flesh craves consumes us. Until this, and this is what the enemy does. He takes our cravings and he hooks us through the nose and he leads us wherever he wants us to go because he knows we can't overcome our cravings. So our fleshly cravings lead us like a dog wherever the enemy pulls and that's how he leads us. He doesn't need us to be horrible people. If he gets our cravings, oh, we're done. We'll go wherever he leads until we start to overcome them. And this is about overcoming those things. This is about stepping up and saying, I'm giving this back to the Lord. My cravings are going to submit to the word of God and the work of the Holy Spirit. The second instructions the Lord gives the Israelites is don't cut your hair. There was times in Israelite culture where it was considered shameful for a man to grow his hair long. And I think the root of this, where the Lord is saying in this, is that this is a time where you live by kingdom standards and not world standards. It doesn't matter what the world says. Everything bows down to what Jesus says. Everything. It doesn't matter what's normal or what everybody else is doing. None of that matters. We do what the Lord says. Our life is set to kingdom standards. I also think that this is a way for us to symbolically see what's happening inside of our spirit as we're in this midst of this time of consecration. Growth. Growth. I think that our hair grows and so does our spirit. In strength, so does our faith. I think it's a time where our spirits are given freedom to be unleashed and untamed and free to go wherever the wind of the spirit blows the third instruction the lord gives the israelites is don't go near or touch any dead thing and scripture says the wages of sin are death and i believe the root of, that's the root of this command to run from sin 
to do everything within your power to remove the opportunity for temptation. I think when we go into these, these times of, of intentionality where we say, Lord, I want to be made, I want to be made consecrated to you. I just want to give myself to you and I want you to transform my life and change my life. And when we take on that, that, that intentionality and we walk and we step forward into that, I believe that the Lord wants us to re- refrain from sin. He wants us to run from it. Run from it. And for a lot of us, that's going to mean we're not going to be able to turn on the TV during those, that time. We're not, you're not going to be able to turn on the TV because the TV might open the opportunity for Satan to tempt us and we're not even dealing with that. It might mean deleting social media off your phone for a season because you say, I can't even, I'm not even willing to touch that. I am being set apart as holy. I am pursuing the Lord in this time. And I don't have time for my mind to be, be filled with temptation. I don't have time to spend all of my time fighting off temptation. I want to just give myself to Jesus and be free to go where the Spirit leads. And I think that when we set, spend time being extra intentional about fasting, eating only of the true vine, living to kingdom standards, and fleeing from sin, I believe there's supernatural things that the Lord will release to you that will launch you into greater faith and therefore a greater degree of his glory. Let me say that again, all right? When we set time aside in our life to be extra intentional about fasting, eating only of the true vine living to kingdom standards, fleeing from sin, I believe there are supernatural things that the Lord will release to you that will launch you into greater faith and the next degree of his glory. And I think that those things, those supernatural releases are represented in the lives of Samson, Samuel, and John the Baptist. When I look at Sam's, when I, I look, when I look at Samuel, I see Samuel. I, I look. I see a supernatural release of wisdom. Samuel was the last judge of Israel. He was he was the ruler before there was kings. He was the one that led Israel. But more important than that, Sam or Samuel was a seer. He was a seer. When people in Israel needed wisdom that was higher than the highest wisdom of, wisdom of man, they went to the one who had some type of connection with heaven to have a wisdom that's higher than any wisdom man could ever know. To be a seer was considered, you were considered to be a perceiver of hidden truths. A perceiver of of hidden truth, you perceived things that the world in its natural wisdom and knowledge could not perceive. And I believe that as we step into this, I believe that the heaven opens up and I believe that we receive a supernatural wisdom in our spirit to know what to do and to to have wisdom that's outside of the highest wisdom of man. And I actually think that we've seen evidence of this over the past year. We've stepped into times of extended fasting. I just look at over the past couple years, um, um, some of the things that have developed out of fasting. The remnant group was birthed out of a time of fasting. The engaged ministry, which is so blessed this church, was, was birthed out of a time of fasting. The storehouse ministry, which we just heard Rebecca May's testimony. If you haven't heard it, go listen to that because it's powerful. 
as we, as we, the, all of these things were released out of a time of, of fasting, a time of intentionality, we, without even knowing, I step into these Nazarite-type vows where we start to seek the Lord's face with intentionality to be more like him, and he starts to release wisdom from heaven to us. It starts to change and to shape what is happening here and what's happening in our culture and what's happening around us. It's wisdom straight from heaven. When I look at Samson, this one's easy. I see a release of supernatural strength. Samson was a judge of Israel as well, and he was a judge during this time when Israel was in what was considered a 40-year oppression of of, uh, the Philistines. The Philistines had oppressed Israel for 40 years, or they were in the midst of this 40-year oppression. Samson was an Israelite, obviously, and at one point he gets a little upset with his uh, would-be father-in-law because his would-be father-in-law gave his wife to another man to marry. So you know what he did? He caught 300 foxes and he tied their tails together and he lit them on fire and sent them throughout the Philistines' uh, grain fields and burned their grain fields to the ground. And then this is what's funny about it. Then you know what he did? He went and hung out at his house. He was, he was good. He wasn't waiting. He wasn't scared. He didn't run. He didn't hide. He didn't say, get your armies ready. We're going to fight these guys. He went and relaxed. And the Philistines got mad. And then they came to Judah. And they said to the people of Judah, and the Judah's in this, in this spiritual state of weakness because they've been under this oppression. And they say to Judah, we want Samson. And they're scared. So they go to Samson and say, we don't know what to do. We're going to have to turn you over to them. We can't fight these guys. They've been oppressing us for 20-something years. What are we going to do? We can't fight them. And Samson says, that's okay. You can take me to them, but I just ask that you don't attack me yourself. You just tie me up and take me. And so they tie him up and they take him before a thousand, an army of Philistines. An army of Philistines has come to, 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 to capture him and to capture one man. And Samson comes before this army of Philistines. This is what the scripture says. The bondage that had held him melted like wax. Some of you, yeah, some of you just need to, you need to know this because we come into this time of consecration and we feel like we've been held back for so long. And Samson walks before the Philistines and the bondage that held him melted like wax. And then you know what he did? He picked up a jawbone from a donkey. That seems like an insignificant weapon. That's not, you're not going to do any damage with that. He kills a thousand of them with it. A thousand Philistines. An army of men fall at Samson's hand. An army of them. And I think, man, I think when the Lord, what he wants to do in us, and this is our word for the year, more than conquerors, what he wants to do in us, he wants us to press so deep into consecration that he would release the supernatural strength in us and we would see enemy strongholds, armies of the enemy fall at our feet. We would see the things that have held us back for our entire life, the bondage that had held us back for our entire life melt like wax. And the things that seem like insignificant weapons will be weapons that are used to slay thousands. That's what I believe the Lord wants to release inside of us. I don't think that we're done with this. He wants to release this in us. When I look at the life of John the Baptist, I see a release of supernatural passion. And here's what I mean by passion. Because I think this is the highest passion it's a passion that is when, when, when the burning desires of God's heart becomes the burning desire of our heart. That's passion. When the burning desire of God's heart becomes the burning desire of our heart. John was in the lineage of Aaron. And you know what that means? That John had the right to go work in the temple. And John looked at a corrupt temple and he says, I'm not interested in religion. I have been marked for something higher and I want the Lord. I want God. 
That's what I want. I don't have time for religion, and I don't have time for the corrupt temple. I want Jesus. I want God. That's what I want. And so he, so, so John the Baptist goes out into the wilderness, into the middle of nowhere, and he eats locusts and honey, and he wears sackcloth. And he, anybody that was, is willing to listen, he's preaching repentance to them, and he's baptizing them. And John was so consumed by the passion for righteousness that many people in that time called him a maniac. They said he's out of his mind. But you know what? People still came. And people came and they were transformed and then more people came and then more people came and then more people came. And people started to become concerned about John the Baptist because the culture around him was changing because he was so consumed by passion. He was so full of passion. He was so full of a hunger for righteousness that, it, that nothing else mattered. Nothing else mattered to him. You know what I love about John the Baptist is this, is, is that John the Baptist was born with a purpose, and his purpose was to prepare the way for the Lord. And here's the best part about this. Jesus came over that hill, and John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And you know what he could have done? He could have said, My job is done. I fulfilled my purpose. I'm heading off into retirement. I'm going to live my life. I've I've lived a rough one, but you know what? Those locusts and honey aren't looking good anymore. I'm going to eat, I'm going to eat filet mignon, and I'm going to live a good life now because I've fulfilled my purpose. But here's the thing. Passion doesn't stop with answered prayers. Passion doesn't stop with answered par- prayers. Passion doesn't stop with miracle signs and wonders. Passion wants more. Passion goes further. So that's why, in John, this is why we find out later that John the Baptist, Jesus is out preaching. John the Baptist is in prison. He's in prison because when Jesus came over the hill, he didn't say, I'm going into retirement. He kept going. He kept going until the culture was so changed that people had to throw him in jail to stop him. And then they let him out of jail, and he's still so consumed with the passion. He can't possibly stop there. So he says, you know what? Herod's been messing around. He's been messing around with his brother's wife, and that's a problem for me. I'm going to go tell him about it. And people are probably like, you're going to die. He's going to kill you. And he says, I don't, I, don't, I don't know if you understand this. I don't have anything else to live for. I'm so consumed by my passion. I'm so consumed by my hunger for righteousness that if I am not pursuing righteousness in my life and in this world, then I have nothing to live for. So I might as well go. And if he kills me, he kills me. If he kills me, that's okay. I have nothing else to live for. That's a supernatural passion. That's a super, and I believe that the Lord wants to release that into us too today. I believe he wants to release that into your life. A passion that sees miracle signs and wonders and keeps going. A passion that just doesn't ever burn out. A fire in our hearts that doesn't ever dwindle down and die off. A passion that just keeps burning brighter and brighter and everything just seems to fuel the fire inside of us. I think the Lord wants to release supernatural wisdom. I think he wants to release supernatural strength. I think he wants to release supernatural passion to us for us to function in a new way of living. I think he wants to give us wisdom to know what to do, strength to overcome any obstacles that stand in our way, and passion to see it through to completion. Samson, Samuel, and John, they each fulfilled a critical rule in God's plan for redemption. Samson liberated the Israelites from Philistine oppression. Samuel anointed David as the king of Israel. And John welcomed the king of heaven and earth. And what about us? And what about us? 
Our story's still being written, but I think the Lord has that kind of impact prepared. I think that if we would step into it, he would say, I have something for you that you couldn't even dream of. Are you hungry to perceive the hidden truths? Are you hungry to see enemy strongholds fall at your hands? Are you hungry to live your life with a burning passion for more of God? Are you hungry for God? There's something else that Samson, Samuel, and John the Baptist all have in common. In Judges chapter 13, the scripture says this. There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 5, the scripture says this, But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. Verse 11, he said, And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you indeed look at the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor will touch his head. In Luke chapter 1, it says this, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Samson, Samuel, and John the Baptist were all born of wombs that were previously barren. Because there's something about emptiness that allows for God to release a greater degree of his glory. He sees emptiness and he says, I see a place where I can fill. I see a place where I can pour out. And I think the Lord wants to take your barren lands. And he wants to turn to them in a land full of abundance of life. Gardens of abundance. In the places that were previously barren. Emma and I were uh, getting ready to start a fast a little over a month ago or so. And, and uh, Emma's a little better at counting the cost than I am. I'm just like, let's go. I see something hard and, and I'm like, let's go. And Emma's like, let me count the cost real quick. And that's probably wise of her, but I'm, I'm, I'm not built that way. So Emma was still uh, uh, not fully committed, still considering the length and the extent of, of her fast. And the Lord gave her this vision. And in this vision, Jesus was standing on the edge of this barren wasteland. There was nothing but sand and lifelessness behind him. And he had this big smile on his face and he was excited. And he was saying to Emma, do you want to come? Do you want to come with me? And she said in this vision, I had already started to go. And she was still standing back. And then she said yes. She started going and this, this land that was barren and empty and full of lifelessness turned to this beautiful lush garden. She walked into this. And then a few weeks later, I, I, I was reading in Isaiah and I read Isaiah 51 verse 3. It says this, for the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden. Her deserts like the garden of the Lord. 
joy and gladness will be found or the thanksgiving in the voice of song. You know, what I didn't know when I sent her this verse, she was blown away because in her devotion, she sent me a picture of an inner devotion plan for this fast. That one of the, her devotion cues, one of the things that she wanted to do, she said, I'm going to sing a song to the Lord every day. And I can just say that like joy and gladness was found in there. Thanksgiving and the voice of song was found in there. I realize this, I realize this, that heaven doesn't see the wilderness like we see it. We see barrenness and lifelessness. We see emptiness. And he sees this lush garden where all we have is Jesus. Some of us have, some of us are being called into the wilderness willingly and some of us have been forced into it. We've been forced into seasons and places of our life that feel empty of life. You see, feel barren and they feel like there's nothing here for us. There's no fruit in here for us. And Jesus is saying, I want to take that land and I want to transform it into a beautiful lush garden where I fill every one of your needs. Where I am exactly to you, to you who I say I am. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 19 says this, Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And I believe that we're living in a time where the Lord is wanting to release new things. And our ability to perceive it will be totally dependent on our willingness to go where it's being released, into the wilderness. Our ability to perceive it will be totally dependent on our ability, our willingness to go where it's being released into the wilderness. Where does Jesus say he's making rivers? In the desert. In the desert he's making them. Are you willing to go? Are you willing to go? Do you hunger for more? Are you sick of living your life in the same old, same old? Are you sick of staying at the same degree of glory? Are you hungry for the next? Are you hungry for more? I think sometimes in our life we have these opportunities where the Lord says, I want you to break out of this. And I feel like the Lord, I hope, I pray that the Lord is speaking to some of your hearts today to say, I want more. I'm tired of living the same old, same old. I'm tired of the same degree of glory. I'm tired of seeing all the same things. I want more. I want more. And I feel like the Lord is saying to you today, sometimes we have to move our feet to say, I'm tired of living in the flesh. I'm tired of being a slave to that. I'm done with that. I don't want to be a slave to the flesh anymore. Sometimes we have to pick up our feet and walk up here and say, I'm not living like that anymore. I'm done with that. I want more. And so if that's you, become up. Listen, run if you have to, crawl if you have to. Just come. Don't let your feet hold you back. Don't let your flesh hold you back. The Lord wants to give you more. He has more for you. Don't be satisfied where you're at. Don't be satisfied with that. He has more for you. And he wants to give it to you today. I think he wants to give it to you today.
So come if you have to, but just don't, don't be stuck in your flesh. Don't let your flesh hold you back. I'm gonna pray for you, and if you wanna come, then just come. You can come while I'm praying. I don't care, and I don't care how you come or which way you come. Listen, the prayer team's up here, but it doesn't even necessarily mean you need the prayer team. Sometimes you just gotta come. Sometimes you just gotta come. And so if you have to come, you can just come. And Lord, we just love you. We're thankful that you've called us to something higher, God. You've called us to something higher. And we're not going to let our feet hold us back. We're not going to let our flesh hold us back. But we're done with the same old, same old. Our lives will not be the same old, same old. Lord, we are hungry for more. Stretch our faith wide, Lord. Release your spirit, God. Release your spirit. We'll move our feet, God, because we want more. Because we're hungry for more, Lord. Meet us in our hunger, God. Meet us in our hunger, Jesus.